Thanks, Heather, for leading us in that time of prayer for families. And uh, I even find myself uh, in that place. I got two kids going back to school uh, next week. And I know it's really easy to uh, be anxious about that. And like, what are we going to do? How are we going to get back into restructuring our schedule? And I'm sure many of you feel the same way, even if you don't have maybe kids returning to school. Maybe there's just that kind of anxiousness that comes at this time of year as we kind of go back into the fall and uh, for some people I know there's even anxiousness around like total separate issues like finances and jobs and all that kind of stuff and so as we've been thinking about this and preparing as we do every year for every student Sunday and as we've been working through our sermon series right now the summer in the Psalms I wanted to pick a psalm today that sort of speaks to that that speaks to the sense of having anxiety and nervousness, maybe this uh, psalm that would address something that has to do with those times when we feel like we're just in a fight. Maybe it's a fight with someone, maybe it's against something, maybe it's just uh, facing our circumstances, maybe it's that wrestling with our own emotions of what we're going through. And so today we're going to be taking a look at Psalm 62. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible, pull out your phone. You can follow along on the screens. And as always, there's Bibles in the front entrance, free for you to take if you'd like one. Uh, We want everyone to be able to open up the Word of God whenever they want. So it's our free gift to you. But this psalm, which is a psalm of King David, was written by David for himself and for others to be able to wrestle through situations without becoming overwhelmed. In a sense, what David invites us into as we go through the psalm is a place to find rest. Find a a rest for our souls, a contentment of our disposition and our internal turmoil, turmoil. And he wants us to find that in God alone. Now, this is obviously a message every one of us needs because while some of us are facing anxiety today, others might not be today, but we certainly will another day down the line. And it's quite probable even sometime this week that each and every one of us are going to go through some sort of circumstance where we're looking for peace, where we're looking for sort of a way through. And so my hope is that this psalm for you will be a reminder of sort of how to get back to a place where you can just have rest in your heart and soul. Now what I love about this psalm is that it wasn't penned by someone who didn't understand difficulty. It wasn't penned by someone who just kind of lived a comfortable, easy life and they said, oh, don't worry, just be like me. Instead, it's written by King David, who had potentially one of the tumultuous, most tumultuous lives that has ever been lived, at least that we know about in history, because he just had to face every sort of thing. And through it all, he was able to come out the other side and say, I've found peace. David struggled all through his life from the time he was a young boy as a shepherd and he had to defend his sheep and, and per, later on when he would go off and protect the land on behalf of other people because others couldn't defend themselves to the time where he was a king. And we know that while he was a king, he had other nations who would send spies to 
come and try to plot his demise. We know that even before he was a king, his best friend's father would try to chase him down and kill him over and over again. And then later on, towards the later part of his life, we know that friends betrayed him. His son tried to uh, overthrow him by running him and his closest advisors and family and friends out of the city. I mean, he's gone through all of these difficult circumstances. And so I love knowing that because it makes me be able to be like, okay, I, I think I can trust this guy. I think I can trust where he's going. And I think that we will all find, as I have found, as I've learned from David, that we can find peace by focusing our minds on God and focusing on what he would have to say to us. As we go through this psalm in just a moment, I want you to also notice that uh, a couple places there's going to be this word in brackets, which is Selah. Now there's deb debate about the exact meaning of what this word meant. There's not necessarily a direct translation that we have from the Hebrew into our language today. But what we do understand is this is a moment of pause of reflection. In some places they define it as to lift up praise towards God or to look at God in a moment of reflection. And what's really neat is in the midst of this psalm we'll see that David is encountering a very difficult situation. He's trying to focus himself on God alone and in the midst of it he takes these pauses. He takes a pause to rest. Pastor Ray Fowler, who's a pastor down in the States, says he's, he wrote, it's interesting to see that a psalm about finding rest in God has rest built into it itself. So let's read together Psalm 62, and then we'll go through and see where we can find our peace. So Psalm 62, uh, and there's some notations here for the director of uh, music for Jedithan, who was sort of the, the choir and orchestral master. So we know this psalm was written for God's people to be able to worship God to. And it's also a psalm of David. Here David writes, Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all you throw me down, this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies, and with their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Surely the lowborn are but a breath, the highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they're only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods, though your riches may increase. Do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love, and you reward everyone 
according to what they have done. Right off the top of this psalm, we see that David acknowledges that it's in God alone that his soul finds rest. It's in God alone, he says, that I find my salvation. And there's all sorts of layers to that word salvation, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes' time. But he, he has a sense that it's God who saves me. It's God who rescues me. It's God who pulls me out, and it's in him alone that I can trust to find this place where I can have a breath, where I can rest, where I can find some peace and some sleep, even in the midst of all the unrest and all the uncertainty that surrounds me. Now, as David says that, I think it's quite incredible. Because to the human side of me, the the side of me that doesn't really sort of have this thoughtfulness towards God all the time, I kind of go, well, why does David say this? I mean, David is a wealthy and powerful man who's gone through all sorts of circumstances and difficulty. At this point in time, he has an army at his disposal if anyone wants to come against him. In my mind, it seems like David has everything in and of himself to find peace. Our world tells us that every single one of us should look to ourselves to find the answer. I think if you're like me, you probably have that drive just innately in you that says whenever a problem comes up, I can deal with this. I can figure this out. I can push through. Maybe I've got maybe it's not just me, but I got my family and a few friends, and we can we can tackle whatever comes. But we know beneath that there's this sense of unrest. Because I know really, even though I say that to myself that it's not true. There still continues to be this sort of anxiousness that comes up within me even though I I might have a lot of things at my disposal to tackle a problem with. And what I think is interesting is through all these sort of ups and downs King David has experienced, through all the times of anxiousness, even with all that wealth and power and all the success that he's had, David recognizes it's not in himself or in the things he has that he finds rest. And actually, he speaks directly to that in three ways. There's three places within this psalm that that David tells people not to look, where he tells himself, maybe, as someone who's hardwired like us to try to solve problems ourselves because that's what the world says, uh, he, he, he speaks to himself to say, don't look there. For starters, he gives this warning, don't look within your own ability. In verse 3, we said, how long will you assault me? At this point, he's speaking to his enemies, those who are coming against him. Uh, him. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? David knows that trusting in himself is not enough. David's under attack. By whom? We we don't know. We know that he experiences many times over his life. But what's clear is that he understands that he's outmatched. And so he can't trust in himself to pull out the victory. We see how David views himself. He says, I'm a leaning wall 
a tottering fence. This tottering fence gives this image of maybe a rock wall that's been built up with not enough mortar in between the stones, and so it's starting to kind of lean, and you know, with just one big push, you could send even a massive stone wall over. He has this sense within himself that if the wrong wind comes, or if a big enough enemy presses me today, everything's going to come collapsing down. And so what David says is he says, I know who I am, but I also know who God is. If I am little, this tottering stone fence, then God is really the rock, my refuge, my place of rest. Now when, when he gives us this picture... I don't want us to think of something small. I want us to think of something huge. And we'll come to that in a minute. But where this needs to speak to us today is we go into a place of anxiousness and unrest. Maybe you're going to work and you just feel like you have that coworker or that competitor who's always on your back. And they're always just out to get you. And you just know that one of these days on your own, ah, I'm going to give in. It's all going to come tumbling down. The competitor is going to beat me. That coworker is going to get the best of me, and it's all going to come tumbling down. What David's counsel to us is, then don't look within yourself. That's not where you're going to find rest. That's not where you're going to find strength. That's not where you're going to find comfort. You have to look to God because he's bigger than what you face. He's a place of refuge, something, someone where those enemies, those competitors, that other thing that's on your back can't get into. And he'll go on in a moment. The second thing, though, that he says is that this isn't just uh, looking to himself, but you can't even really look to people around you to bring you the answer. Do I have to convince anyone here today that people will let you down? No. Right? We know. We, no one even had to look around, right? We know no one's hand was shooting up because every single one of us has been let down. And it doesn't even matter uh, who it is. It could be your closest childhood friend that you've just been friends with for decades and you know them inside out and you've been through thick and thin and all the transitions of life. You know because of your experience with them that there's going to be times when you've been let down. You can have the most intimate marriage where things are wonderful and things 99.9% .9 of the time are flowing and you have each other's back, but you know that at times your spouse isn't going to be able to get you through everything. No one had to convince David of this. He had experienced it. His own son betrayed him. His best friend's dad, who once loved him, tried to kill him time and time again, David knew that people did not possess within themselves enough to get him through. Even if he brought in all the best whom he trusted, he knew that there was still cracks in that defense. And it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter where they're from. He knew that it was meaningless to trust in them. In verse 9, we read, Surely the lowborn 
are but a breath. The highborn are but a lie. If weighed on the balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. Now, there's some Hebrew wordplay that's going on in here, and there's this sense of going back to the creation of man, and uh, the, the word for breath ties into Abel's name, you know, Adam and Eve's son. And, and what he's trying to get the sense is since the beginning of time, man has never had it within themselves. It doesn't matter if you are, are born in the lowest of position and have climbed up yourself and earned all of your own success. It doesn't matter if that person was born with a proverbial silver spoon in their mouth and they have access to whatever they want. In the end, they're about as powerful and weighty as a breath. Blow your hardest. It's not making much of a difference. That's what he wants us to understand. That's what he's recognizing is a lie within his life. And so he says, I need to look somewhere else for my defense. Now, if he wasn't good enough, if his friends and family weren't good enough, surely his wealth and power would solve it, right? That makes sense. But even then in this psalm, we see in verse 10, he says, do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. There's a lot to unpack in that sentence, but right when you think of extortion and someone extorting somebody, that's, that's a picture of someone who has all the power and authority in a situation who can even just come in and take at others' expense. It doesn't matter if you take it, all, it's not going to be enough, is what he says. And David's dabbled in that. David has abused his own power through history. We can look at the story of David and Bathsheba, about how it wasn't just about money, but about people. And, and he's leveraged certain situations for his best. He's had all the authority, all the strength. He was appointed by God. He, he could say in a lot of ways, I've got it all. I've got the power, I've got the authority, and I've got the wealth. So surely I can make sense of this situation. Surely I can solve it. But really, as David explored that through his life, he recognized this doesn't work. There's no real strength in this. There's no real way forward because of my power and wealth. So the question then is, where do I go? What do I do? And I, I'm sure David sat there so many times. Like, I'm like, if I put myself in David's shoes, and I mean, I can't possibly fathom what his life was like, but if I do the best of my ability and I sit there and I'm like, okay, I can't do this, even though I've done, uh, you know, I've like killed lions, I've killed giants, I've taken on armies, I've, I've moved my way up, I've accomplished this, okay, I can't do this, what about my friends? Okay, I got this good friend, that good friend, I got this great family member, I got this army captain, okay, that's not enough. That's not giving me peace. Okay, well, what if, I what if I used my wealth? Like, what if I just took advantage of this situation? What if I used my, my power and I tried to amass everything I could and I tried to take everything into myself and, and you can just feel the sense of him being like, it's still not enough. Like, deep down, there's still just this like, ugh. There's no rest. There's no peace. I'm still staying up at night. 
I'm still feeling anxious. Where do I go? And you can almost feel David saying, okay, let's go back. Let's look at those different moments in life. When I took on the giant, I knew God was with me. When I faced Saul and he was hunting after me and I knew God wanted me to be king, but he wanted me to live the right way, I knew it was God who gave me wisdom and direction and safety. Even when I faced my biggest blunder where I tried to take things by my own power and wealth and things went, went terribly wrong and I got called out by, by my buddy Nathan, what, who was there for me? God was there for me. God was there for me. He forgave me. He allowed me to keep chasing after him. He continued to provide my salvation. He was there to, to, to deal with my, my heart and soul stuff to give me rest. And so when he goes to turn this into a song of prayer, you can see that he goes back to this time and time again. And he doesn't divide his attention. He doesn't say, well, that'll get me so far with my power or my wealth or my family or myself. He doesn't say any of that has any merit. Instead, he says, you alone, God, are the one who provides for me. You alone, God, are where... I find my arrest. You alone, God, are the only one who can satisfy me in this season. It's really sad for me that in this translation we use as a church, it, it doesn't give that, that translation. Instead, it, it says in verses 1, 2, 5, and 6, this idea that it's, it's God alone who satisfies by saying, truly, Right? The translators are like, like, truly, with all that is true, with all that is good, with all that is whole, th that's you, God, who provides that. But in the Hebrew, there's this sense of, of, of oneness, of aloneness. It's God alone and no one or nothing else, not even a fraction outside of God. If I can add a little bit in, does anything get stronger? And so throughout this what David says is truly, God, you alone in all the truth of my heart, mind, soul, in all the truth of my strength, in all the truth of my experience, I recognize that you're my rock and my salvation. You alone, God, are my fortress. It's because of you that even though I'm a toppling tower, a leaning fence that's just ready to give way as soon as some kid comes up and pushes on me. Even though I'm in such a frail state, I will not be shaken because I've built my life on you. You're the foundation. It's my salvation that comes from you. I love that the Bible uses this language and this metaphor continually of a rock. When we think of a rock, when we come to passages like this in the Psalms, or when you, when you hear God speak to people about rocks, or you hear Jesus teach on it, or there's this imagery that comes up, I, I, I don't want you to picture a pebble. I don't want you to picture that biggest boulder that you've climbed on in a river. I want you to think of something more like the Stowamish chief. Have you ever driven up through Squamish? And seeing that massive granite stone face, this is the backside of it. I used to live below this. 
When I went to college in Squamish, I actually uh, lived in a little trailer that was right, planted right below this. And for six months, every day, I would get to go outside my trailer door and see this massive stone face. And every day, rain or shine, my highs or my lows, the, no matter what winds and winds just rip through, this idea of Squamish talks about the, the mother of all winds. That's what it means. There's these winds that rip through and go along the face. No matter what hits it, it never topples down. It never changes. It's always there. It's always planted. It's always firm. No matter how many times you hike up and down, no matter how many pieces of gear are placed by, by rock climbers as they nail and drill and, and stick devices into the wall, it stands still. It's proven the test of time over and over again. David's saying God is like this. He's bigger than this, but this is the image he has to give us. He's like this. He's, he's immovable. He's a base for my life. Even though I'm sort of tottering around as these rocks, even if I fall over, I'm totally at rest. You could build a massive rock tower with no mortar on the top of the Stuamish chief, and if the biggest wind that came through hit it all, those rocks aren't falling down. They're not plummeting the thousands of feet down, rolling into the ocean eventually as they cross the road and go down the other side. No. They find their rest on this rock. It's a place of safety. It's giving us a sense that if there was danger down below, there's somewhere I can go up high. That's this language of having a fortress, of having a refuge. We're supposed to get this picture that it doesn't matter. If I was out in the wilderness... And the biggest animals were out to get me. I could climb up into this place that's secure and I could sleep for the night. It doesn't matter what enemies are coming after me. It's in the presence of this rock that I find myself surrounded as if I'm in a fortress. It's because of God, David said, that I have the ability to stand strong today. It's because of God that I cannot be shaken. It's because of God I don't have to live with this anxious spirit within me because even though I'm shaking, God's not moving. The English poet John Donne wrote about this psalm. He said this, if God is my refuge, then what enemy shall pursue me? If my fortress, then what attack shall succeed? If my rock, then what storm shall shake me? If my salvation, then what sadness will overwhelm me? If my honor, then what slander shall harm me? David came to this place where he understood that because God is our salvation, there's nothing else that could impact us. I love this language of salvation. The language of salvation gives us all sorts of imagery. First and foremost, as we study scripture, we need to hear this language of salvation to be our understanding of being made right and anchored with God. 
we understand that the Bible is a, a book that tells many stories, but ultimately it only tells one. And as this word salvation comes in here, we don't just understand it as, as David saying, I have salvation, I'm saved from my enemy. But we also hear this language that from the beginning of the world, God made things good and so that he could inhabit the world with his people. But because of the fall of man, because of our sin, the way we live, we've been separated from him. But God has also decided to send his salvation to save us from ourselves and bring us back into a place of rest, to bring us back into eventually a new version of the Garden of Eden when he restores all things to be how they should be, where there will be no more sadness, no more hurting, no more anxiety. That's where he wants to bring us to a place of rest. And the way that we enter in then is very much like David finds his salvation and his peace and anxiety. It's that we acknowledge who God is. We put our faith and trust in him. And then we receive all the rest. Ephesians 2 puts it this way. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, but it's a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. God himself enabled all this. Jesus in his very loving and stable nature, decided to come down to earth, to live the life we couldn't live, to die on the cross when we could not pay the penalty for our sin, so that if we would just believe in him, if we would just look to him as our rock and our way out, he would bring us into a place of rest, deep within our souls, within all of our lives, that he would bring us in to his new creation that he has been unfolding for centuries now and that one day will culminate when he comes back down to bring us rest as he establishes new creation upon the earth. For any single one of us who finds ourselves without a sense of peace, this is the place to begin. If you want to know more, I'd love to talk to you about it. If you want to get some more insight, like in the video that, that we saw, you can look at the Bible. John's a great place. That's what they talked about. So read the book of John, which starts about the beginning of creation, and it tells all about the life of Jesus, talking about why he died, so that you could find rest in him. Start there. And for all of those of us who are believers, we need to go there time and time again. Because as we remind ourselves of the salvation God once brought us to the deepest parts of our souls, we realize that nothing else that stands against us really has much impact on us at all. If Jesus has the power to defeat sin and death, he can handle whatever you're facing at work. If Jesus has the power to overcome all of that, the anxiousness that you're feeling as you go back to school, whether you're a student or a teacher or you're a parent just sending your kids off on their own and you're leaving them for a day, a week, a number of months, a semester, a year, whatever it is, God's got that. You don't have to be shaking. You don't have to be worried about toppling because God has got this. We need to find ways to remind ourselves of that. And then we experience salvation 
over and over again. We only have to receive the salvation of our souls once, but we need to continually receive the ability to trust in God through all things. When you really trust in God, when you look to him alone, you realize that you're saved from the burden of trying to figure out how to do it all on your own. You don't even have to point the way. You don't even have to figure it out. That's part of why Jesus came. Not only did he come to save, but he came to explain how we could live a life that is flourishing. It's why, for me, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle. I'm humble in heart. And then you will find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus has this invitation. I want you to walk alongside of me. I want to guide you. I want to give you rest. When we realize our salvation, we realize that we're saved from our enemies and difficulties. Now, don't get me wrong. There's no promise in the Bible that life is easy because you're a follower of Jesus. There is no promise in the Bible that your enemies aren't going to beat you up in the temporary. There's no promise in the Bible that your business is going to outdo your competitor just because you're a Christian business person. But what there is a promise in the Bible is that none of that really matters. Because in the end, you win. In the end, you get all of him and you will get to receive perfect rest. When we zoom out like David did and look at our life in a picture of eternity, that's what he does in those last couple of verses, talking about what the future entails. When he zooms out and looks at eternity, he goes, ah, we get what's coming when we find rest in Jesus. And what's coming is a beautiful thing. It puts everything else in perspective. You can almost get this sense at the end. <sighs> now I can rest. As we consider these things today, this week, as you go through whatever you're facing that will bring you unrest over the next number of months, I want to encourage you, don't hold this stuff just as, as distant knowledge. Really bring it in. I encourage you to be like David in that what you do when you face these difficulties is that you stop and refocus and rest. Remember those Selah moments? There's these pauses written in. They're written in in two spots in verse 4 and verse 8. Now as we read verse 4, we read this, surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies, but their mouth, with, with their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. In the middle of this verse, we're in the tumultuous part of the psalm. We're in this part where we just see David is wrestling. Man, they're coming for me. They're going to topple me. Even though they say nice things to my face, they're conspiring against me and cursing me. And oh, he's in this anxious state. And then what does he do? He just stops. And he looks up. He focuses on God. He remembers what God has done. 
He remembers how God has brought him rest. And then we see that things begin to change as he continues to go through the psalm. Even when we get to verse 8 where there's this, this next sort of selah where we see that what, what he's done is he's come to this place through, through verses 5, 6, and 7 to this place where he's like, oh yeah, God, you really are my rock. God, you really are my salvation. God, you really are the place I can find rest. He comes to that point and then he stops again. And he stops again because now he realizes what's up and down. What's left and right. What's right and wrong. What's truth and lie. And he goes, all right, we can begin again. All right, I can keep going. All right, I can carry this confidence with me, not just for a moment. This isn't just a quick lunch break, a little snack in the middle of the day that's going to get me by for the next five minutes. No, he can come to this place fully recharged, fully with a sense of confidence to march forward. And as so, he clings on to God. He clings on to God time and time again. Notice in verses 5 and 6, David personalized what God did in his life. This is what I mean by not just taking something as knowledge, but applying it to our hearts. He doesn't just mentally acknowledge facts about God. He doesn't just mentally acknowledge that there's promises in the Bible. Yeah, I know the Bible promises a lot of good things, and there's a lot of good things that come from those who try to go near to God. No, instead what he does is he personalizes them. He says, yes, my soul finds rest in you, God. My hope comes from him. He is my rock, my salvation, my fortress. Therefore, I will not be shaken. David understood that there was good information out there that he'd had all his life long, but it wasn't helpful to him when it was just information. What he had to do is he had to cling on to those promises of God and trust God to provide him. He trusted God with all of it by saying, I'm going to cling to that promise of who God is, and I'm going to use that to bolster me. And all along the way, he has this conversation with God. He speaks with God. And this, this is a, a message that's brought us to us time and time again. Don't just leave God as information. Don't leave, just leave God as in the distance because he's saved for you. But he's actually there for you in the moment. Peter, another guy who followed Jesus, spent all his time with him, knew all the answers, blew up and failed over and over again, finally came to the point where he realized, I can't just know this, I have to live it. And later on, when he wrote a letter to the church, he said it uh, in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Part of our salvation is that we are in relationship with the real and powerful living God who is there for you. And he cares for you. He's already proven it on the cross. And he says, I want you to draw near to me. I want you to receive all those promises that I have given to you. I want you to be at rest. So just leave it with me. Carry on with me walking alongside of you. Allow me to guide you. Allow me to be your fortress. And there you will find rest. So I'd encourage you, stop and think.
Don't leave this place today without stopping and thinking about ways that God has shown his faithfulness. But don't just stop there. Actually take time to thank him. Actually take time to remember his faithfulness and then talk to him about it. And then allow him, as Holy Spirit, to begin to embed that within you. So that as you face times of anxiousness, you can find rest. For some of us, this means you need to find a way to keep that in front of you time and time again. You know, I'm wearing, I don't often wear any type of jewelry besides my wedding ring and besides my watch, but every once in a while I wear this bracelet. Um, and the reason I wear this bracelet sometimes is because it reminds me of the faithfulness of God. And this, this item has no power in of itself. It doesn't represent God really, but it reminds me of his faithfulness. And so sometimes I put it on because it's just that reminder in a specific season. It reminds me of the fact that when I was a youth pastor, I went through this particularly difficult time where I kind of asked myself time and time again, what am I doing? I felt like I was in this really dry spell in ministry, and I just really felt frustrated by what was going on in our church, and I felt frustrated by, by how I was leading, and I just kind of looked to God, and I was like, am I wasting my time? Like, am I really supposed to be here? Like, God, why have you put me here in this place? Like, like what's the fruit of this? And I felt like I hadn't seen any, any progress, any fruit. And God said, you know what, Kyle, I want you to stay exactly where you're planted, and I want you to trust me. I said, okay. I don't know why, but sure. And I remember after that, a few months later, I really felt impressed on my heart that I needed to run Youth Alpha. I was like, okay, God, we've run Youth Alpha before. I don't know what you're going to do with this. But I turned to my students and I said, guys, I think we should run Youth Alpha. I think God really wants to reach out into your high school. I, th I think God wants to make a difference. And to, some, to my surprise, about eight students looked at me and they said, yeah, let's do it. And these kids, by their own volition, printed out hundreds of invites to Youth Alpha. They went early over a couple mornings the week before uh, we ran Alpha, and they plugged every single locker in their entire high school with an invitation to Alpha. They talked to a few kids, most of them said no, and they came back and they said, we don't know what's gonna happen, but you know, we've, we've done what we can do. Well, a few days later, when it was our first Alpha, 28 students, actually 29 students the first week showed up at the church. I was like, they're here for the free snacks. But little did I know what God would do. Over the next three weeks, 19 students accepted Jesus. 19 students who had no idea, who, who I personally had no impact, but through the ministry of what God was doing, through our ministry and the lives of these kids and the, the, the difference they made in their classrooms, their friends noticed that something was different, so they wanted to come see what was up. 19 kids came to know Jesus. One of them, a young kid, come from Lebanon, was really passionate. His name was Malad. That summer, Malad went home to Lebanon, spent the summer there, and when he came back, he brought me this bracelet. 
He said, Kyle, I know this is a Catholic bracelet. I know that's a little bit different. I don't really get it, but, you know, I know it's different, but I wanted to find one that had Jesus on it. And that's really hard to do in my country because there's not a whole lot of Christian stuff there. But I really just want you to know that it made a difference. So sometimes I like to put this on because it's a reminder of the faithfulness of God. And it's that thing that allows me to have peace and rest. Not because there's anything in and of itself, but because God is all I need in and of himself. And so I encourage you, look for God's faithfulness. Find ways to mark it, because it really does have an ability to carry you through and give you rest. It allows you, even in difficult seasons where, where it doesn't seem to make sense, it doesn't even seem to have some connection, it allows you to just know that God's at work, even if I can't see it. Man, God's going to pull through. I might not see it today, but I know one day I'll see it when he comes back. Over the next couple of moments, I just want to invite us to take a time of reflection. We do this for those who are new to the church. This is something we do periodically. It's just an opportunity that, you know, we come to church sometimes, and we almost are anxious about church, like getting it done. But we like to take time periodically to just rest. And so I invite you to do that. Joy's going to come up and play on the piano for those who are really uncomfortable with dead silence. And I just encourage you for a moment. Just think about the faithfulness of God. Look for those moments that you can anchor yourself in those reminders that will help you carry through so that when you come to that place of anxiousness, you're not looking for it all of a sudden out of the blue when your mind's torn in a million different ways. But instead, just have it ready so that when anxiousness comes, when your competitor or that coworker is infuriating, you already have it with you to find rest. And then I'd encourage you, if you've already got that, take time to just thank God for it. Take time to just appreciate God like David did and allow that to continue to be something that the Holy Spirit uses to stir in your soul. So we're just going to take a couple minutes of silence, do that, and then I'll pray for us. for your faithfulness, God. All through scripture, we can see it. In the life of David, we see how you provided time and time again. Forgiveness, grace, mercy, compassion, your presence, your deliverance from difficult situations. And God, I, I just thank you that you didn't just do it for him, but you've done it for all of us here. God, I thank you that Jesus, that you came, that you lived a life for us, that you died for us, that you rose for us to give us 
chance to, to experience what it means to find rest in you and that you provide that for the whole of our lives. And God, that, that this internal life, that this goodness, it doesn't just come one day when we picture heaven or new earth, Lord, but it starts now. We thank you for your faithfulness now. We thank you for what you provide now. We thank you for your deliverance now. We thank you that you want to speak to our anxiousness now. And I thank you for the faithfulness that you've displayed amongst all the lives of those people who are here, whether they recognize it or not, whether I recognize it or not. God, I thank you for how you provide time and time again. And Holy Spirit, I just pray with your wisdom and in your power that you'd reveal to each one of us ways that you've been faithful, things that we can cling to so that when we're anxious later, when we feel like we're in a fight later, when we feel like we're going to collapse under the weight of whatever we're facing as Lord later, that, that we would have that. Now, Holy Spirit, would you bring it to our minds so we could find rest in you, so that we could see your goodness again and again and again, so we could worship you again and again and again so that we would be people who would be a non-anxious presence in the world, so that we could go out and so people could see a difference as well. So it wouldn't just be for us, but it would be for our whole community, for the neighborhoods that surround us, that people would see that there's something to do with this God rest thing, and that they would come to know you too, and then we could celebrate that faithfulness. God, I thank you for how you provide even when I can't see it. I thank you for how you lead even when I have no idea where we're going. I thank you that you love each and every one of us. Holy Spirit, help us to see that. Help us to build our lives on it. Help us to find rest in you. We thank you for all this, Jesus. We pray in your mighty name. Amen.